Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. Part of being enlightened is being informed. So today I am using my background of studying Vladimir Putin for 12 years, including a master's degree in Russian studies and creative writing from New York University, living two years in Eastern Europe, and a published book called I, Putin by Jennifer Ciotta that's available on Amazon to give you insight into what the media is not telling you about Vladimir Putin, and especially his background, his human side, and the reasons behind his actions today. The media keeps saying Putin wants a Soviet Union back, but why? Today, I give you the reasoning into Putin's psyche. This podcast is a metaphysical and spiritual podcast, and today I'm deviating from the norm, but it's such an important topic and is so close to my heart. I hope you really enjoy this bonus episode, and if you do, please give me five stars on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you are listening and submit a kind review as well. It is vital to this podcast to rate and review for the algorithm and for new listeners to find me, so thank you. Let's begin. Vladimir Putin grew up as a poor Soviet kid in St. Petersburg, Russia. His father was a member of the Communist Party, which was normal for the Soviet Union. Putin started to get in trouble as a kid, you know, a few fights here and there. And he was scrawny and small and not anything special as a student. At the age of 10, he began to practice the martial art of judo. Judo is a mix of street fighting and wrestling, so you have to be extremely tough mentally and physically to compete. As research for my book, I visited a judo dojo and I was taken aback by the intensity of the sport, the hair pulling, the grappling, the grabbing, the touching. It was just not my thing. But it was Putin's thing because he excelled as a judo competitor in high school. He was a city champion in Peter, which is what Russians call St. Petersburg. He still spars with a coach today. So think about that. He's been practicing judo, including extreme mindset work in his formative years for almost 60 years. This is what the media often overlooks about Putin. They love to call him a career KGB man, which isn't incorrect, but where his mindset was originally sculpted and molded was in those judo dojos in Peter. Let's think about what a martial art teaches you. Number one, patience. You have to be a patient person to move up the belt classes. It takes years to become a black belt. As a competitor, judo teaches you strategy. You lie in wait and observe. You watch for your competitor's weaknesses. And once you find it, you strike. This is exactly what Putin is doing with Ukraine. He tested the waters in 2008 with Georgia, with Crimea in 2014. And now when U.S. President Biden announced he will not put American troops in Ukraine, Putin interpreted Biden's action as a weakness and he sees the opportunity. His tactics are exactly like judo tactics. He waited patiently observed his competitors, found their weaknesses, and struck. Think about the years in between Georgia and Crimea and now Ukraine. Putin stays quiet for a while. You don't hear news about him for quite some time, and then boom, that's his strategy. 
Putin was recruited into the KGB or the Soviet Secret Service. It was his dream. He wanted to be a spy. And he had this like romantic movie vision of being a spy. He talks about the letdown of actually being a spy in his autobiography. He wanted to spy in Berlin, West Germany, because he could speak German extremely well, but he was assigned to Dresden, East Germany. And he was unhappy at first, but he and his wife and their two daughters made a nice life for themselves in Dresden. Just a side note here, he divorced his wife years ago and his two daughters are grown up with their own children and he keeps them out of the public eye. During his time in Dresden, everyone knew Putin was a spy. He worked for the, and I'm using air quotes, embassy and everyone knew it was KGB headquarters. As 1989 unfolded and Putin was living in Dresden, he and his fellow officers noticed a change in the people. They wanted democracy and freedom, and it was going to happen. He reported this change to Moscow, and they simply ignored him, which really frustrated him to no end. So the Berlin Wall falls, the Soviet Union collapses, and Putin is stuck in Dresden with his family and quite frankly, doesn't have a pot to piss in. In other words, he's not receiving orders from Moscow. He doesn't know what to do or where to go. But all he knows is uh, he needs to get the hell out of Germany before they come after him because they start to burn the embassy. He makes his way back to St. Petersburg. He continues to work for the Soviet Secret Service, which is now the Russian Secret Service and is called the FSB. He then makes his way into politics as vice mayor of Peter. This is a pivotal time in Putin's life to understanding his mindset. As vice mayor, Putin's job was to recruit foreign money into the city. So he saw, observed, absorbed Western capitalism, and he loved it. Putin was never a communist at heart. He's actually an absolute capitalist. He's richer than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. A fun fact, during his time as vice mayor of Peter, he helped Ted Turner and then wife Jane Fonda with the Special Olympics that were held in Peter. Ted Turner has a funny quote where he says that he learned to be nice to everyone because Vladimir Putin was his driver. So uh, basically saying that you never know what someone's going to turn into. And Turner said Putin was nice and that he liked him. So now Putin at this time has developed a serious love of money and a lot of money. And now he has the desire for money. He's called to politics in Moscow in the 1990s and slowly moves up the ranks in the Kremlin. His colleagues say, you know, same thing when he was a kid. He's nothing special. He's that typical KGB man, typical Russian guy in politics. But they don't know his judo mindset and his secret desire to be rich. In the late 1990s, Boris Yeltsin was president of Russia. His health was failing, partly due to alcoholism, and he was old. His daughter was actually running the Kremlin due to his health, and people didn't like this. Meanwhile, the oligarchs are gaining extreme power and taking over the Kremlin from behind the scenes. The oligarchs are the Russian businessmen who snatched up all the big enterprises during the collapse of the Soviet Union. People view them as crooks because they acquired these big businesses such as oil, mining, electric, through unethical means. So then Boris Yeltsin gets himself in trouble. There's a video of him sleeping with a prostitute. 
Putin does Yeltsin a solid and makes the video go away as a thank you. And uh, yeah, this is a big thank you gift. <laughs> Yeltsin names Putin as his successor, acting president of Russia on New Year's Eve, 1999. So what does that mean? We've had Putin's Russia for 22 years and counting. And we can all thank Boris Yeltsin. Spasiba, Boris. <laughs> When he began his presidency back in the year 2000, the oligarchs saw Putin as a puppet, just a guy in place to do their bidding. Putin went along with it for a while. Remember, he's waiting, he's observing, he's patient and quiet. And then he finds their weakness, which conveniently aligns with his financial interests. So Putin starts to threaten the oligarchs. He brings them all to the Kremlin and he says, either you're with me and you play by my rules or you're against me and you suffer the consequences. Those oligarchs who decided to do the latter have, you know, ended up dying of heart attacks pretty young, were thrown out of the country, have had their businesses seized, basically the Putin special. However, the general Russian public doesn't like the oligarchs, so they're fine with Putin doing this. And as Putin continues his presidency, he takes his Western capitalism studies and incorporates them into the Russian economy. He props up the Russian economy with oil. He puts everyone on the books, meaning he starts income tax. Life in Putin's Russia isn't the breadlines of the Soviet Union. Putin, whether you love him or you hate him, successfully upgraded the lives of Russians. Their overall quality of life has exponentially increased. You can now buy your own apartment in Moscow and furnish it at Ikea. Putin came into power young, energetic, strong, and healthy, the complete opposite of Yeltsin. And between that and ousting the oligarchs and improving the quality of life, that's why Putin has remained so popular. But there is one event in Putin's reign as president so far that has turned him into the Vladimir Putin we know today. And the media never refers back to it, which surprises me. This event occurred in August 2000, and it's the sinking of the Kursk submarine or the Kursk submarine tragedy. This occurred as Putin was celebrating his first 100 days in office. The Kursk was an Oscar II-class submarine with all the bells and whistles, including two nuclear twin reactors and a diving bell that would hold 115 sailors and bring them to safety if there was an emergency. The Kursk was Putin's baby. And in celebration of his first 100 days in office, he pushed for the Kursk to start naval exercises. During one of those exercises, the Kursk exploded. Many of the sailors who survived the blast crawled into the ninth compartment to die. And via sonar, you could hear sailors banging on the hall for help. And one even wrote a letter to his wife that confirmed some of the sailors survived the blast. Putin remained silent for four and a half days. A famous Russian newspaper came out with a headline saying, damn you, do something. The international community was outraged, even pushing then-American President Bill Clinton to call Putin and urge him to respond. Putin felt weak, out of control, attacked, and unsupported even by his own people. He didn't know what to do. It sounds simple. Save the sailors, right? But when you are schooled in Soviet military history, and your backup diving bell is rotting away on the docks in Murmansk, it's not that easy. 
After all 118 sailors perished and Putin finally responded, he emerged the strong, ruthless Putin we know today. What happened in those crucial four and a half days to change Putin from being seen as weak-minded and floundering in the international community to the man he is today? Why is understanding the Kursk tragedy so imperative in understanding Putin's psyche? My book centers around this exact topic. I, Putin by Jennifer Ciotta is available on Amazon, in paperback, Kindle, and on Audible. And for this week only, I will put I, Putin on sale for 99 cents on Kindle. The link will be in the show notes. I hope you feel informed, thus enlightened. This is a bonus episode I'm trying, so please let me know and give me feedback. And until next time, live your life two inches off the ground. <laughs>